What a, what a good Friday night that was, huh? Enjoyed that. Enjoyed being up in the upper room. I like what they did with it. We weren't beat on by the sun. The wind wasn't too bad. The food was great. Um, I don't see her here, but our server said she wanted to come. So if you can remember Chrissy in your prayers, it gives me excuse to go back and, and let her know that we missed her. Try some more sliders and whatnot, and then um, and and just check on her. You know, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that was when Easter was coming that I always equated it as the Christian Super Bowl, and then Al correctly informed me that no, um, the Super Bowl is non-believers Easter. So it took me a minute, and I went, oh yeah, yeah, so. I won't do that again. So, but this is an amazing, amazing, mind-blowing time, right? When we realize, when we realize that Jesus came, just like the scripture said, born of a virgin, lived among us, just like the scripture said, pointed us to his father, suffered, and then died, but rose again on the third day, just like the Scripture said. And because of that, we will be able to overcome death ourselves and live with him forever. When you just stop and realize that, that is just absolutely amazing. And where are we going to go today? Well, the passage is Luke 24, 36 through 49. And last week, Al walked us through the scriptures leading up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem during our Palm Sunday service. He even gave us the backstory on why Jesus did what he did, like the mode of transportation and all that. And he showed that all of that wasn't by happen chance. It was all a part of God's plan, and he pointed us to the scriptures where that was foretold. All a part of God's plan. So I'm going to attempt to do some of that this week. We will see that God's plan is happening in his time, just as he mapped out. We're going to look at the passage today also in two sections. In two sections. So the first one is called Why the Disbelief? And that is verses 36 through 43. Why the disbelief? And then the second part is 44 through 49, and it's God's entire plan is in the Bible. God's entire plan is in the Bible, and that's 44 through 49. So the passage today. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, have you anything to eat? And he gave them, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are the witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this day and what it means, for it is everything to us. It is everything that you spoke from long ago, from Moses, from the Psalms, and from the prophets, prophets, that you would send your Son, and he would be our Savior. May we never take this for granted. May it be always on our lips. And Father, just send the Holy Spirit in great power that we may be able to open our minds to and hear what you have for us today. In your precious name, amen. So 36 through 43, why the disbelief? And when you look at 36, it's one of those passages, since we didn't do the previous section before, that you have to stop, right? You have to stop and go backwards. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Because it says, as they were talking about these things, so we need to see what things they were talking about and who were these people that were talking about them. Because prior to what happened in 36 was, was incredible. Jesus um, had just risen from the dead a short while ago, and what did he do? I was thinking about this. Everything he went through, he has now risen from the dead. What would I do? In my humanness, I'm thinking, you know what I would do? I would be looking for those religious leaders, right? I might like rise up into the air and shoot lasers out of my eyes at them and, and seek some revenge, but no, that's not what Jesus did. In his plan, he decided to go on a seven-mile walk with two members of his former entourage, one named Cleopas and the other, heaven forbid, he wasn't named, but we know he was there. We know he was there. And these two were on this road talking about what had occurred in Jerusalem. And Jesus came up and walked with them, pretending not to know. So if you can imagine everything that had gone on for that week, Pretty remarkable. Um, the buzz had to be going around. You know, if they had social media, that would be the number one trending topic. But I mean, everything, if you think about it, 
because you had the, the town of Jerusalem flooded during this time. They grew in population. The out, outer suburbs expanded in population because everyone was going to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. So from the triumphal entry to Jesus cleansing the temple, from how he spoke like no other person had ever spoken of before, how he spoke when he taught in the temple, through to him being brutalized, hung on the cross. I mean, that had to be something for these people to experience. So it was no doubt in anyone's mind, this is all everyone was talking about, about Jesus and about what had occurred. So naturally, we see Cleopas asked him if he was the only person in Jerusalem that did not know what was going on. And Cleopas shared how some of the women had gone to the tomb and Jesus' body was not there. But they had seen a vision of an angel that had told them, Jesus is alive. So we get an idea these men must have left the group and started to Emmaus before Mary Magdalene got back with her visit with Jesus. So an interesting note looking at this, Jesus answers them in verse 25 by saying, O foolish ones. And there's no record of their comment back to him with that statement. But regardless of the response or no response to the comment, the coolest thing happens. If you can imagine this, Jesus chose these two men to walk with and walk them through the greatest story ever shared. Just incredible. Jesus began with Moses, walked through the prophets, and it says in verse 27, he interpreted all these scriptures to them and the passages that concerned him. And walking seven miles takes some time. So they maybe had close to two hours. With me, it would have been quicker because I would have called Uber. But um, Jesus shared the scriptures with them and he pointed, pointed to this invest, to these events. And what might he have shared? He might have shared passages like Psalm 16, 9 through 11 that says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Imagine Jesus sharing that with them, that this is me. He may have also shared Psalm 22, which to me was really cool, because in my daily readings, I had kind of come across Psalm 22 and took a picture of one of the passages for my notes to prepare for today's message, if needed, but it's already here, and Jesus shared it. And then surely, surely, he would have went over the fourth servant song with them. He would have surely done that and went over all of it. And if he did that, 
I guarantee you for sure he then went over Zechariah 12.10, that amazing companion verse to the fourth servant song. Because it says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, and then please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. So what that's telling them is, I am going to pour out a spirit of grace over you, and I dare say irresistible grace, one that doesn't say that these people of Israel, they get this, can say, no, no, thank you. And that's a touchy point for me this week because I was talking to one of my employees and he goes to a Calvary Chapel. And I went, I'm a lot older now, so I'm not as brutal in my words, but I explained to him, the one problem I have with your church, I love it, I love how you teach the Bible, but you don't believe God's fully in power. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, you believe that the Holy Spirit can come down and say, I'm going to change your heart. And you can go, no, time out. No, no Holy Spirit. I'm not interested right now. Can you come back tomorrow? They believe man has the power to refute God. So we see here in this verse that's not true. And then I'll go back to my favorite one. Because if man, if man had the power to refute God, what example do we have in the Bible of a man that would have, but didn't? Think about Paul. Think about what he was doing when he was called. If there was ever a man that would have said, nah, uh-uh, it was this guy on a horse with soldiers, with warrants in hand, going to kill or arrest, at least beat believers, right? I don't think Jesus was on the side of the road with his thumb out. And, and looking for a ride and saying, you know, if you guys got a second, I'd like to talk to you about my, my grace and my love for you. Paul would have said no. But what did Jesus do? It's a perfect example that kind of refutes this. He knocked Paul off his horse, blinded him, told him, I'm going to use you for what I want to use you. Just amazing. Amazing. So there, my rant is over. But it's so true that we understand that. We have no power to do whatever. And if you think about it, what power did Pharaoh have? None. He was used, right? All these guys, the kings of Assyria, you know, all these people were used for God's glory. He has all the power. So the thing we see is this great promise he was showing him that one day he would come back and call all of his people and they will not be able to resist his grace. He is calling his people Israel. They will not be able to resist it. And they will look back at the fourth servant song. They will see what happened, and they will mourn for what happened to Jesus, who they now love so greatly. Jesus also would have shared Zechariah 13:7, and that speaks about the garden and the disciples fleeing. He also would have shared with them Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. And that's the first promise that at least I see 
that Jesus would come. Another good one would have been Numbers. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. And that's when they're in the wilderness, right? And they're grumbling about God, and God puts a punishment on them where they're bit by serpents. And the only way they can be saved is Moses gets a bronze serpent and mounts it on a pole, and once bitten, they have to look to that pole. And folks, that is our first picture of salvation via the cross, the first one. He would have also shared the promises of Jeremiah 23, 5-6. Jeremiah 23, 5-6. That says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Of course, with that amount of time, Jesus would have shared a lot more scripture. And if I was Cleophas and his buddy, I would have walked a whole lot slower. As you can imagine, what a wonderful picture that would be to be a part of that teaching session. In verse 31, as Jesus was pretending to walk on further, and they invited him in, what did he do? He broke the bread, which was a symbol of sharing a meal, and he then allowed them to recognize him, and then he departed. I love their response. Their response was to pack up, even though it was getting dark, or probably dark by this time, and head back up, the seven miles back to Jerusalem and share this with the 11 other disciples. So now we're going to pick it up in verse 36. And while they were busy talking over each other, if you can imagine all these guys in this nervous excitement and shock, they're talking over each other about all the bits and pieces that are coming in. Jesus is not at the tomb. Mary says that she talked to him. These two come in and said, we saw Jesus. So they're all nervously talking. Jesus comes in without them knowing it and says, peace to you. Jesus, their leader, their teacher, their Lord, who has been with them for three years, suffered a horrible death, even though he told them he was coming back again. I can say with much certainty that after they witnessed what he went through, I highly doubt they believed he was rising from the dead. And their response is as you can expect, and we see it in verse 37. They were startled and frightened. And if you can imagine why, because where were they? They were in a locked upper room. Their leader had been brutally murdered, and I guarantee you, they thought they would be next. They thought they would be next. And the incredible news was coming. The incredible news came that Jesus was not in the tomb, and people had saw him, so they're all nervously talking, and then, boom, peace be with you. 
they thought they were now seeing a spirit. And in 38 through 43, Jesus calmed their disbelief that it was him in the room with them. He who had hung on the cross, been laid in the tomb, was actually standing now before them in person and not a spirit. In 38 through 40, Jesus talks to their current emotional condition by asking them, why are you troubled? But more importantly, he asks them, why do you disbelieve? I cannot blame them, because I'll bring it up again. As we saw in that fourth servant song, Jesus was brutalized beyond recognition, not as a person, but as a human. So naturally, they could not have believed he was back again, looking like he did in front of them. So he quickly moved them to the belief that he was no longer dead, but he is the risen Lord. He did it in three ways to ensure they understood he was not a spirit, but that risen Lord. He showed them the nail wounds in his hands and feet. He had them touch him to see that he is flesh and bones. And then he ate with them to show them if they had any doubt at all that now they could see he was real. If you could imagine the shift of emotions in that room after these three actions. It says in verse 41 that after these first two signs took place, the seeing the wounds to touching him, they were still in disbelief, meaning they had not yet reconciled the fact that Jesus was actually in front of them. But they were joyful and marveling. So we can get a picture of when you're like in a joyous shock, right? And we see a picture of that in Acts 12, 14. Acts 12, 14, one of my funniest things to read in the Bible. Peter has been released from prison, right? The angel released him out of the prison. And so he goes to where a group of believers were. He goes to Mark's mom's house, and he's knocking on the door. And a servant girl named Rhoda comes out, and she recognizes Peter's voice. And he is wanting to get off the streets because he's a fugitive. And she's so excited to hear his voice, she runs back. She doesn't let him in. She runs back and tells the others, Peter's here. So we get a picture much like when Jesus walked in to the room on, is these group of people arguing about whether he's there or not, instead of just going to let him in. It's that joyous amazement that their prayers were answered. Finally, I would have loved to see if they would have told us what dawned on them to solve all the arguing and just go answer the door. That would have been something. Another picture we see of this joyous amazement is in Genesis 45, 26. Now this is cool because this is when the sons of Jacob tell him that after all these years and probably decades, Joseph is actually alive. He couldn't believe it. It's that feeling you get when you want it to be true, 
but it's still so hard to imagine. So by these people seeing his wounds, feeling his flesh, and then witnessing him eating, their shock and initial disbelief turned into amazement. <coughs> and later when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they proved mighty in their belief. This group of people were well over the 11 remaining disciples, and they witnessed Jesus in that room, and they lived to serve him, even when it meant their life would end in a brutal way. The only one that died of old age in this group was no doubt John, but folks, that wasn't for a lack of trying. That was not for a lack of trying. What changed? What changed with these people? Well, maybe it was the last three words we see in verse 41, when Jesus said, peace to you. Normal greeting, right? But coming from Jesus, it meant so much more. What was that peace? To have the peace of God or to be in the presence of a God, or now for us in this day of age, to be in the Holy Spirit is the same. It's the same. They are virtually inseparable. So it made sense that since Jesus was before them and speaking to them about this peace, that they would have it. Leviticus 26.6 says, it's a passage that God is telling his people that he will give them peace in the promised land and they shall be able to lie down and no one, no one will make them afraid. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28 is another great passage. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28 and it talks about that forever peace that we will have in Jesus. So at the day of Pentecost, some 50 days later, the disciples and the others in the upper room knew, knew now what that word peace meant when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Think about it. They went from fearful to fearless. These group of men that were scared in this upper room would be standing in front of everybody and preaching God's word and seeing amazing conversions to Christ. Even, like we said on Good Friday, even priests would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So God's entire plan is in the Bible. Verses 44 through 49. 44 through 49. So in verses 44 and 45, Jesus, after calming their fears, showing them who he was, sat with his loved ones and, and maybe did a replay, maybe longer, but shared the Bible with the scriptures with these two, the same as he did on the road to Emmaus. And there we were, if you can picture it, they were in that upper room, in the peace of God, and Jesus opens their minds to the words written about him in the Old Testament. 
the plan for salvation, all the way from Genesis through Malachi. Walk them through it. And he told them in verse 44, basically saying, I spoke these words to you when I was with you before my death. I told you I must die, but I told you I would rise again so that everything written in the Old Testament would be fulfilled. Everything written in the Old Testament would be fulfilled. What he didn't say, that's the problem with the world today, he didn't come to him and say, hey, guess what? I have a new revelation for you. He didn't. He said everything written in the scriptures points to this point now and in the future. And it's everything I told you for the time I was with you. He opened their mind to understanding and they walked through it all over again with Jesus. What a precious time that must have been. They were seeing words written hundreds to even thousands of years prior, clearly talking about Jesus and this time. Incredible. And Jesus did it in the reverse order, right? That he did with the two on the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus, he shared the evidence first of everything in the Bible um, concerning his rejection suffering and resurrection and then later revealed he was Jesus Christ in the upper room he revealed himself first opened their minds and then walked through the scriptures and then he focused on three specific areas that he walked them through three specific areas number one was his rejection suffering death, and resurrection. So the first one was his rejection, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Two was all nations should hear about the forgiveness of sin through repentance. All nations should hear about the forgiveness of sins through repentance. And the third is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So concerning his rejection, suffering, death, and resurrection, and this is the second time in Luke 24 that Jesus makes a reference to the prophecies in the Old Testament about his rejection, suffering, death, and resurrection. Luke doesn't address a lot of the passages he uses that he went over here, but he will share them in his next book. So he made us wait. He went over some of them in Acts 2, when Peter gave that sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jesus opened their minds so they would clearly see that he was rejected, did see his suffering, and resurrection, and they would see this in all three major divisions of the Old Testament that he went over. The law, the Psalms, and what the prophets went over. They clearly showed them all of those. And then 
some of our personal favorite. He went over that all nations, includes us, should hear about the forgiveness of sins through repentance. This starts as far back as Genesis concerning all nations, right? It was right there when God made the covenant with Abraham in 17.5. He said, Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. That was us, folks. And Psalm 86.9 says, All nations shall come and worship you and glorify your name. And then for the prophets, it says in Isaiah 11, 4 and 5, tells that he will judge the wicked, but with righteousness, but with righteousness, he will judge the poor. And that meant us too. And then he went over the promise of the Holy Spirit. I love this because we can see in the law portion, might have went over Numbers 11.17. Numbers 11.17. When God told Moses, you need to choose elders from among the people and I will take some of the Spirit from you and give to, him, give to them to help them with the duties I have for them. In Psalm 51.11, Psalm 51.11 says, Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then the prophets, I'll go to our current favorite, Isaiah. In 42.1, it says, Jesus will bring forth justice to the nations. How? Through his Holy Spirit. Hmm. Verse 48, now that Jesus had walked them all through these, these scriptures, seeing that everything, everywhere, all pointed to Jesus and God's plan for the ultimate redemption through him, these people became his witnesses. And then verse 49, something that we can be familiar with in this day and age, Jesus told all these people in the upper room, you're now going to be in a holding pattern or we might say, you're now in quarantine. You're now in quarantine. And what would last for about 50 days? They could leave the upper room. They just couldn't leave the city. And they were waiting for that special time when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So this timing of Easter, we can see, was always in the plan. Always in the plan. Easter is a long line of really great events that the world has a hard time believing has occurred. But because we have been changed by the Holy Spirit, and now through faith and belief, we see that roadmap from the Old Testament, right? As it points all the way to Jesus and beyond. we can rejoice with the outcome that's coming. And since we have the Holy Spirit, we have that same peace. So praise to Jesus for being that bridge so we can make it to the Father. Amen? Then one note, one note. Next week we start back in Isaiah.
and we're going to start that last section. You know, I didn't even realize how this ended when we stopped Isaiah and we went on to the Palm Sunday and then Easter. Until Good Friday, I was talking to Colleen. You know, we ended, ended with verse 55 before Palm Sunday. And that was the last section that we talked about the greater deliverer, which meant the first advent. And then we had Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter services. And all those messages talked about the greater deliverer. Next Sunday, we start walking that last section, which talks about the great conqueror that is coming. Folks, that's the second advent. You might think Al and I are geniuses, but I don't think we planned it. I don't think we planned it that way. We'll take credit for it, but we'll give it all to the Holy Spirit. I was sitting there thinking, that was amazing. It's like we knew what we were doing. That is so awesome. Well, let's pray. Dear Jesus, may we never forget just the power and majesty that it took to see all this through. We can never imagine and we take for granted just the power of what this time represents, that everything that had been talked about came true. And we see it from the people that walked with you for three years and how they were still startled when it came to pass. We thank you for how you handled them, offering peace, calming them, and then praise you, Jesus. May can never pray you and praise you enough that you opened their minds and walked through that again, showing them passage after passage that you had shared earlier, but now they had a renewed mind. Just amazing amazing. We can't wait to start up talking about you coming again, for it'll be a glorious time. May we never forget. We love you so much. Amen.